You're listening to the Cash Valley Insider, conversations with founders, leaders, and creators about why they live, work, and play in Cash Valley, Utah. The Cash Valley Insider is a production of the Cash Valley Chamber of Commerce. Become a chamber member and learn more at cashchamber.com. Thank you for joining us virtually. We think we have a great lineup today. We know we do, and we're really um, happy that you could participate. Um, I, as I always do at the beginning, I really want to acknowledge our partnership with the Small Business Development Center um, and thank our sponsors for this lunch and that are also our annual sponsors of the Chamber. Um, so if uh, I can just mention those, please. Uh, America First Credit Union and the Bank of Utah, Cash Valley Electric, Cash Valley Home Builders Association, the Cash Valley Media Group, uh, Alta Bank and Rocky Mountain Power. Uh, also, our Chamber Board of Governors, Autonomous Solutions, the Bullock Agency, Cash Valley Bank, Campbell Scientific, Wilson Motor, and Century West. Uh, I know I usually have all of our Board of Directors um, stand and get a round of applause, but I'll just have to give them a virtual round of applause. And thank you for supporting us at the Chamber and the job that you do. Um, it's my pleasure. Um, now I'm going to turn the time, actually, sorry, to Warren. Uh, Warren's going to announce and tell you just a brief little bit about the new, uh, our new members that we've had join the Chamber in the last uh, little bit. Warren? Yes, welcome to all of the, the members, current and new members. Usually we have a new member orientation. We're hoping to get back to that as, as of next month, uh, if all goes well with some good social distancing and masks. Uh, and we usually have the new members get up and talk. We won't be able to do that today, but I will announce their names. We have Richard Reeves with Birch Creek Equine Dentistry up in Smithfield. We have Rex Polanis with Drawn In Media, LLC. Mike Gillenskog with Larson Fire Apparatus, Inc. Tony Peterson with The Joint Chiropractic. Dave Whitbeck with Zitronics Research and Design. And Mike Weber with Today P&D, Inc. We welcome all of you and we will give you a chance in a future leadership lunch that's in person to actually speak with all of us and introduce yourself and give your one minute uh, pitch about what you do and why you do it. And uh, thank you so much for joining the Chamber. We think it's so important to be a part of this organization, especially during this crazy time of COVID-19. Thank you, Jamie. Yes. And, and thank you, Warren, um, for all the information that you have been sending out during uh, COVID. I know as a Chamber member, you, would, you have been receiving um, our exclusive updates and Warren's done a really good job of trying to funnel and channel and choose that information that he thinks everybody should need. And we understand that you don't need all of it every day or what, and we have put it on our website. So we encourage you to check out um, thecashchamber.com to see any, about any information that you're concerned about. And feel free to call us. Our numbers, we have already always been uh, open. Our numbers have been available. Somebody's answered the phone through the entire um, uh, pandemic time. So I need to thank my staff for really stepping up during this time. Jared um, Ripplinger is a partner in the CPA firm of Cook, Martin & Polson. He's been working in the industry for over 19 years. 
He has a bachelor's degree uh, in accounting from USU and a master's of business administration also from USU. He started his career in public accounting at a CPA firm in California be before returning to his roots in Cache Valley. He's a certified valuation analyst. Jared specializes in business taxation, preparation, business valuations, and assisting clients with their estate planning and trust administration needs. When Jared's not meeting with and helping clients, he enjoys spending, weight, spending time weightlifting, woodworking, playing sports, and spending time with his wife and their five children. Please welcome uh, Jared Ripplinger for this portion of uh, our virtual meeting. Jared. Okay, thank you. Um, so we're going to be going over the employee retention credit as well as the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. Uh, so these are some business credits that are going to be applicable to a lot of you as business owners. So the employee retention credit, this is probably the least known of the credits. Uh, this is a credit that is a credit of up to, well, 50% of qualifying wages for employees while they're not working because of COVID-19 related causes. What's covered in this is the wages, including the employer paid portion of health insurance. The credit is limited to $10,000 total per employee. And it's a credit that applies against the employer's portion of social security taxes. So for this credit, an eligible employer, there's two uh, qualifications. One is that either the activity of the employer has been fully or partially suspended during the calendar quarter because of governmental uh, limitations um, for COVID-19 related reasons. So we've re recently seen this uh, apply to restaurants and hair salons and other service industries. Um, where they've been shut down completely or operating at a much more limited capacity. That would be one of the limitations that would be eligible for this credit. The other uh, eligibility is if that business experiences a 50% decline in gross receipts in their revenue in the calendar quarter versus the same calendar quarter in the previous year. So those are the two uh, initial tests that you need to look at to see if this applies to your business. An important note that I put in here is that for any employer who has loan forgiveness under the PPP loans, that automatically makes you ineligible for this credit. So unfortunately, that's going to preclude a lot of employers from this credit. If you did not get a PPP loan and you're not going to, then as long as you meet these other requirements, you may still be eligible for this. And we've got a couple of different brackets of employers. Uh, the first is employers with more than 100 full-time employees. For those employers, the employee needs to be out because they cannot work uh, for COVID-19 related reasons. 
if the employer has fewer than 100 employees, then all of the employee wages are eligible, whether that business is open or whether it's shut down. So it's a lot more broadly applicable for those employers with 100 or fewer employees. And it's full-time equivalents on that employee count. So those are kind of the main um, parameters of the employee retention credit. Again, un unfortunately, a lot of employers won't be eligible for this because of the PPP loans. Um, but this next credit or group of credits, uh, the Families First Coronavirus Response Act or FFCRA, this is going to apply to a lot more of you as employers. A covered employer just needs to have fewer than 500 employees. And that automatically makes you subject to the rules of this act. So this was the first act that was passed. This was uh, passed in mid-March. Uh, the employee retention credit was part of the CARES Act, which was passed later on in the month. Um, in order to be eligible, an employee just needs to be employed for at least 30 days. They don't have to be consecutive days. Uh, but if the employee was hired on a specific date, then all of those days count. If they worked for you as a temp employee before you hired them as a permanent employee, then it starts on the date of their employment counting forward. And it also includes any days that they worked for you as a temp employee. So it's pretty easy for an employee to meet these qualifications. And the employee does have the responsibility to notify you as the employer that they're taking this leave. The Department of Labor has listed five or six different categories that an employee may be eligible for the leave under this act. And so we'll kind of briefly touch on each of these. And it's important to know which of these categories they fall under because that's going to determine what the employee benefits are that they're eligible for. So again, this applies to an employee who's unable to work or telework um, for these following reasons. The first one is that employee is subject to a federal, state, or local quarantine or isolation order related specifically to COVID-19. So if you as an employer were affected by this directly, that doesn't necessarily mean that your individual employees were subject to one of these orders either. So you have to look at that employee specifically. So in general, that's going to be just if they were exposed or if it's possible that they may have been exposed so they're in a quarantine or self-isolation order. The second one is that they've been advised by a health care provider to self-quarantine because of COVID-19. That could be either because of suspected symptoms and they're waiting for the test results to come back, or it could be 
because of pre-existing conditions that that employee has that makes them more at risk that that healthcare provider may ask that employee individually to self-quarantine just so they avoid the exposure risks. The third one is an employee who is experiencing COVID-19 symptoms and they're seeking a medical diagnosis. So kind of similar to number two, um, but in general, this is gonna be a more short-term one, uh, depending on the test results and the timing of that. And keep in mind that an employee could fall under multiple uh, scenarios through uh, one through six, and they may shift which one they fall under at any given point in time. So these first three are important for uh, the, the first class of eligibility or of benefits. And then numbers four, five, and six have a different set of benefits that they're eligible for. Number four is the employee is uh, caring for an individual subject to an order under number one or number two. And in this, it has to be um, someone that they ordinarily have responsibility in caring for. Number five is that employee is caring for a child whose school or place of care, so the daycare, has been closed uh, for COVID-19 related reasons. This one applies to a lot of people because of the school closures that we've had throughout the entire state. Um, so a lot of, we've had several uh, clients with employees taking leave under number five, perfectly healthy and everything, but they've gotta be home to take care of kids who are out of school or out of daycare. And then number six, any kind of um, substantially similar condition prescribed by the Secretary of Health and Human Services. So that's kind of a catch-all. Um, so an employee, again, they have to be, be unable to work or telework for one of these six reasons. For reasons one, two, and three, so again, we're gonna be referring back to that list of six reasons quite a bit. For those first three reasons, which is something that directly impacts the employee themselves, the maximum benefit under this act is $511 per day or $5,110 total over a two week period. <clears throat> That's assuming that the employee was a full-time employee. For reasons four, five, or six, where they're home because they're taking care of someone else, the employee is eligible for two-thirds of their regular pay, and it has a maximum daily amount of $200 per day, $2,000 total over the two-week period. So those are some important distinctions to make because it's a significantly different set of benefits that that employee receives. And keep in mind that all employers with fewer than 500 employees are required 
to follow these for the two-week period. For reason number five, which is taking care of the child because of school or daycare closure, there's also an, an additional 10-week period on top of that two-week sick leave that they may be eligible for. And we'll get into some specifics on that. This is eligible uh, or available for self-employed individuals as well. Uh, for a self-employed individual, in order to get the credit, um, it's just a reduction against their estimated tax payments during 2020. And then it's a credit that will be claimed on your 2020 income tax return that you'll file at the end of the year. There's no way to get any kind of an advance on the credit for self-employed individuals unless you have W-2 employees that you are paying the benefits to during the year. So the eligibility for this, it's only days that are taken into consideration from April 1st through December 31st of 2020. If that last pay date um, cuts off at December 31st and it's paid out in January, you're still eligible there because the days that the leave happened occurred during 2020. And Likewise, anyone who had sick leave during March, those days would not be eligible even if they met all the other requirements and even if that pay date was in April. So it really is just the actual days that the employee is out starting April 1st through the end of this year. Okay, so how do you get this credit as the employer? There's, there's a couple of ways that you can apply this credit. The first way is that you can actually re reduce your payroll tax deposits, at least your federal payroll tax deposits. For most of you, it's going to be your 941 deposits that you make. Uh, probably a lot of you, it's gonna be on a monthly or quarterly basis, and that Form 941 gets filed as part of your payroll forms on a quarterly basis. So you can actually reduce the uh, your 941 deposits by the amount of eligible credit because of the wages that you've paid out to these employees on leave. And if for some reason you don't have enough federal payroll deposits to offset the wages that you've paid out under this act, um, there's a form 7200 that the IRS has released and you can actually request an advance payment of those employer credits. So you can get that paid to you by the treasury to cover that deficiency that your payroll taxes don't cover. We'll just really quickly go over the form. It's a simple one page form, has very brief um, instructions. The top section is just your basic business information and identification and an indication of which quarter you're applying for this for. This middle section, part one is just an indication of what type of payroll form you file. For most businesses, it's under A1, it's form 941. Um, but depending on your industry or 
your frequency of payroll filing requirements, you may fall under one of the other ones. In part two, this is where all three of these credits that we've discussed um, can be claimed here. So that employee retention credit, that's the one where you only get if you don't have a PPP loan. Number two is the qualified sick leave. So that's the two weeks of required leave that you're required to pay for all eligible employees. And then number three is the family leave, which is the additional 10 weeks if that employee um, is home because of a school or daycare closure. So all of those get reconciled here to the amounts that you've deposited for your 941 taxes. And then the bottom part is just your basic signature and that you're signing under penalties of perjury that you're reporting correct information. So we'll go through a couple examples real quickly here. So example one, we've got an eligible employer who pays out $5,000 in sick leave during the quarter. And normally they would be depositing $8,000 in payroll taxes. So they're able to use 500 of that 8,000 and just divert it toward those um, sick leave wages to the employees. And then that balance of 3,000 is what gets deposited on the next regular payroll deposit date. In example two, we've got the same situation, but the employer has paid out $10,000 in sick leave. So it exceeds what their payroll deposits are. And so that balance of the 2000, they can, they can file that form 7200 and get an advance payment of that credit. The IRS expects the turnaround time on that advance payment to be within two weeks. And so they really have a focus on making sure that you receive that in a timely manner. For self-employed individuals, other than payroll employees that you're, you're paying, um, you just reduce your estimated tax payments for the amount of eligible credit. Uh, we'll skip some of this compliance, but there, there are uh, DOL rules. The Department of Labor requires that you post a poster so the employees have notice of their eligibility and their rights under this act. Uh, one other thing I want to point out is that for employers with fewer than 50 employees, you may be able to qualify for an exemption from that additional 10 weeks of, sick, of family leave. Uh, you have to keep some documentation to show that in complying with that, it would jeopardize the viability of your business. And the Department of Labor has listed three specific um, situations where they say it's okay to qualify for this exemption. Now there may be others that qualify, but these are the only three that the Department of Labor has specifically authorized. The first one is the expenses and financial obligations exceed the business revenues. Um, 
So you're not able to continue the business even at a reduced capacity. The second one is that the employee requesting the leave has specialized skills, knowledge of the business or responsibilities that would substantially put at risk your business. And then the third is you don't have sufficient workers who are able and willing and qualified or who have time that's available to perform the labor or services provided by the employee requesting leave. So if you meet one of those three requirements and if you have fewer than 50 employees, then you can deny that request for the additional 10 weeks of leave. You can't deny the request for the first two weeks. All employees are eligible as long as they meet the other eligibility requirements but you can deny the additional 10 weeks. The other thing with the additional 10 weeks is that you can require that they use their paid time off or their sick leave um, before you pay under this act. And so uh, anyway, there are some safeguards for you as an employer if you meet those requirements. To the extent that wages are eligible for, the, for any of these credits, you do have to reduce your PPP loan eligible wages by any credits that you receive under this act. So just keep that in mind um, as you're deciding which provision to apply. If, you're, if you've got a PPP loan and you wanna use the loan purely for wages, because it'll be eligible for forgiveness. You can do that during your eight week period. And then once the loan forgiveness has been applied for, you can then apply these um, sick leave times and, and credits toward your wages that are paid later on in the year. So you can ladder these on timing. You just can't count the same wages for both the credit and for the loan forgiveness. I think that's probably all we have time for. I think we got through most of the detail. There are some other nuances in here. Um, and if you have specific questions on this, um, I'd be happy to discuss those with you offline. Uh, thank you, Jared. We understand this is complicated and um, you know very detailed. So what we'll do is we're also recording this today. So anybody who registered can get a recording and a copy of your slides. Um, thank you, Jared from Cook Martin Paulson. We appreciate today so much uh, 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 that you've given your time to explain this and in complicated and important, important information. Thanks for listening to the Cash Valley Insider. For more conversations, listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found. Join the chamber at cashchamber.org.